0: The following message is by Pastor Andrew Beto, pastor of First Baptist Church of Orchard, Texas. More information on First Baptist Church Orchard can be found at fbcorchard.com. Y'all rise for the reading of God's holy word. Our, our scripture for this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be reading chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Uh, The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's. Do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces." The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Dear Lord, God, I ask that you would be with me as I preach this sermon, that you would be in my words, that your Holy Spirit would flow through me, and that you would be in the hearts of the people here that are listening, that their faith would not reside in men's wisdom, but on holy things. God, I ask these things in your holy name. Amen. This morning, I was um, speaking with Tristan, and I was remembering many of the the adventures that I had when I was in college. Some of the really, really silly things, some of the fun things, some of the the dangerous things that I did. Um, And it brings back things that, these little vignettes that go through your mind, one of the things that that will always stick in my mind was my senior year um, we were interacting with some of our freshmen and we would make Uh, them (laughs) interacting, (laughs) interacting. We we were having fun learning adventures with our freshmen. One of the things that we would do is we would make them go and do things for us. We would send them on little errands like go down to the chow hall and go get me some some ice cream or go do this and go do that. It was good. Everybody got, everybody learned from it. It was, you know, experiential learning. So at one point we had this guy, Fishberg. I don't even remember his first name. I think he's like a, like a finance trader or something now. He's probably got more money than everybody in here, but whatever. I remember it was Fishberg and he was always really, really intense. And I said, Fishberg, I want you to go and get me some ice cream from the chow hall. Right? And he was like, okay, I'll go get you some, ch- some ice cream from the chow hall. And, and he was gone for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. The chow hall wasn't far away. Was like, what is, going- what is this kid doing? And so I wonder what's going on. So I went downstairs and went out the door to see what was going on. And I looked down and there was Fishburg, And he was running down the quad, pushing the ice cream freezer that he had somehow managed to steal from the chow hall get out the front door, and he had the guys from the chow hall behind him running. He was pushing in the ice cream freezer, I said, oh, I got you some ice cream. What do you say to that? How do you how do you respond to that kind of intensity? You pull him aside, make sure he's not going to go to jail, and you say, Fishburg, that was a great initiative. Terrible judgment. Terrible judgment, but great initiative. Judgment is something that we all struggle with as Christians. We are intense about the things that we believe. We are intense about the way that we love our God. And yet, we are plagued with bad judgment. We are plagued with a misunderstanding of what judgment is supposed to be. We are... We have kind of a schizophrenic view on judgment on on the one hand we know that there are rules and we know that there's that there are that there is morality on the other hand we are constantly told over and over and over again don't judge don't be judgmental judge ye judge not lest ye be judged so i want to speak this morning about judgment because jesus understood that this was a problem Jesus understood that his disciples would struggle with this and probably were struggling with this. And so in his great moral sermon, in one of the most concise statements of Christian morality that we find in all of Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sits down with his disciples and he talks to them about judgment. And he talks to them about what it should and should not be. See... Christians are meant to live their lives with judgment. But we are called to exhibit good judgment. So we need to look at what that means. See, good judgment is about discernment, not about condemnation. That's the first thing you need to remember when you think about what good judgment is. It is about discernment, not condemnation. In Matthew 7, 1 through 2, Jesus says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, I want you to know that this is probably one of the best known and least understood verses in all of Scripture. I say best known because just about anybody who has ever heard of Jesus and some people that never have will quote this to you. And the interesting thing is they always quote it in the King James Version. Nobody ever quotes it from the NIV or, or the Holman Christian or any of these other ones. It's always, judge not, yes, lest ye be judged. This is the only time in many people's lives that they will ever say ye or lest. But they use it because it has this kind of cultural currency, this, this deep and meaningful. It almost sounds like an incantation, like this deep knowledge. If you've ever tried to confront somebody about their sin or you've ever spoken out about a moral issue, this will invariably be thrown back in your face. Oh, judge not lest you be judged. People have used this to argue against any kind of restrictive morality, any kind of position telling somebody else what they should or should not do. This is the proof text for a generation of liberal theologians, embarrassed by old-fashioned morality of people who would like to take Christianity and make it more acceptable to a hostile world. Don't judge. Don't judge. This is the hammer that atheists use to mock us by saying that we don't know what our own Savior said, that we are, among many things, not Christian that evangelical Christians conservative Christians are unchristian because they judge some of these people even use this to argue against civil government any kind of judicial codes see it, it is the most well known but least understood because people take this verse out of context they rip it from the context and deliberately misunderstand what Jesus is saying They do this because it's an incredibly powerful verse and because they want to take Jesus and remake what he is saying to defend their own positions but see Jesus called on his disciples to judge other people around them all the time Jesus used Words to describe measuring other people's actions and measuring people's motives. Later on in the, the gospel of Matthew, Jesus will caution his people to judge the other people by their fruit. Right? He will. You're supposed to judge a prophet by his fruit. You're supposed to judge another person by the fruit. Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. The things that you do will determine the type of person that you are. We're supposed to judge. We're supposed to measure. Jesus taught his disciples that they should be on the lookout for false prophets, for wolves in sheep's clothing. Later on, Paul will expand on this and he'll talk about the need to judge the actions of other people, the need to look at the way that other people act. He does this in his letters to his protege Timothy. He does it in the letters to his churches. Over and over and over again, we are to weigh and measure the actions of other people and those measurements are supposed to dictate the way that we interact with them at one point or at several points Paul even says that the church should discipline somebody who acts in a particular way and Jesus says the same thing if a person acts in a particular way they should be expelled from the community this does not sound like happy-go-lucky Jesus hippie Jesus surfer Jesus Saying, hey man, don't judge, bruh. It's okay. Over and over and over again, in the Gospels, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we see a God who reveals a concern for morality, for the ways that we act. That we have a responsibility for making good decisions and discerning the hearts of others. We are called to live lives of purity, and we are called to hold each other accountable. We are called to make practical decisions about people based on the way that we perceive them. So, how do we weigh this with the judgment? Well, first thing we need to understand is this process of using the Holy Spirit to understand the essence of another person is called discernment. This is not a bad thing. This is something that is commanded. We seek the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in Scripture and through prayer to help us understand how other people are. So if discernment is a key thing, how do we deal with judgment? And the way that we deal with it is by understanding that discernment is not condemnation. We've got to look within the context of what Jesus is saying to understand what he really means. See, the verse comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And we've talked about this. And he's gone through and explained to his disciples over and over and over again all of the things that you should and should not do. He's laid out a morality that in many ways is far more stringent than anything that the Pharisees have ever come up with. Right? If you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her. If you have anger in your heart, you've committed murder. These are horrible things, and I'm sure that disciples were sitting there. They must have been sitting there saying, How on earth can anyone be moral? How, how can we possibly do this? And how can we ensure the people within the kingdom are doing this? We are going to have to go around and get into everybody's business. I'm going to have to figure out what somebody's thinking, not just what they're doing. and this is exactly what Jesus did not want them to do see Jesus wants his disciples to focus on their own hearts before they focus on other people's hearts. he wants them to understand that every single person there is in the act of sinning and that every person there requires grace when he says judge not when he says do not judge he uses the word carino and this word can be used as a term reflecting judicial judgment right so somebody gets convicted of a crime and the judge passes passes sentence on them and they get punished but it can also mean discernment and it can also mean measuring there's a there's a wide variety of meanings to the word and when we when we look at this i think that we need to look at this as a judicial aspect that that christ is saying you are not here to pass condemnation on another person you are not here to punish them for the sins that they committed he doesn't want his disciples to think of themselves as the morality police whose job it is to go throughout the land and compel obedience and it's important because in the old testament they did have morality police right if you got caught committing adultery, they took you out and stoned you. That's pretty condemnatory, right? If you if you touched a dead body, you had to go outside of the camp. These are the rules that were there. And what we have to understand is in the New Testament, in the New Testament world, that relationship doesn't exist anymore. We don't compel obedience to the laws of God. God does that. We don't punish people for the things that they do. God does. In in many cases, the Old Testament wasn't punishment. What they were doing is they were painting a picture of the holiness of God as a place in the camp where sin could not live. And so Jesus tries to get across to his disciples that sin is important, that obedience to God's law is important, but that... We must live out our lives without a sense of condemnation. Now, I want to be clear. Jesus is not saying that a person can go and sin at will. And so long as they're not judgmental, then it's okay and nothing happens. See, the judgment and the condemnation for sin is held in abeyance until a person dies. All of the things that should be judged and should be condemned will ultimately be seen but they just won't be seen by us. They will either be punished or forgiven, but but not by us. They'll be punished or forgiven by God. The final judgment belongs to God, and that's where the soul is cleansed. So we have to understand this, that Jesus is telling his disciples that while discernment is important, while discernment is necessary, condemnation is not. See, Christians should be on guard against self-righteousness. We should be on guard against this attitude that puts us above other people, that makes other people's sins worse than our own. But this doesn't mean that we should run away from conflict or that we should run away from calling sin, sin, or dealing with these issues as they come up. What it means is that we should not judge other people until we first judged ourselves. We go into this process with open eyes. We go into this process with transparency. Jesus proceeds to describe the appropriate attitude of confrontation of sin. Instead of a judge meeting out punishment, what we're supposed to serve as is a doctor helping another person to get well. We're supposed to come at the problem of sin from the perspective of helping another person. And so he says, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the law out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. See, we are not called to punish sin, but we are called to confront it. The Great Commission commands us to go into the world and make disciples, teaching people to obey all the things that Christ has commanded. This is a call to live in community, holding each other accountable. Christians are supposed to live with each other. We are supposed to be up in each other's business. We are supposed to assist one another. The Old Testament describes it this way. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It is our job to make each other sharp. Paul describes this responsibility differently. He says, we are to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. There is no splendid isolation in the Christian life. No one gets to live on an island by themselves and just be okay. God has designed the system so that we live in community with each other. Messy, messy community with flawed, broken people. And he has given us the obligation to speak truth to each other in love. The key to community is loving accountability. We help each other to see our blind spots. We call each other out when we fall short, and we encourage each other when we fall down. See, this isn't punishing sin, this is accountability, this is restoration, this is assistance. We help each other to live as brothers and sisters in Christ. If we see a brother or sister in a persistent state of sin, we have a responsibility to confront them. That's our job. It's tough, but it's our job. But we don't do it because we hate them. We don't do it because we want to make ourselves feel good. We don't do it because we want to place ourselves higher than they are. We do it because we want good for them. We do it because if a person is in a constant, unrepentant state of sin, they may not be saved. And there is nothing worse than a person that sat in a church for 60 years who goes to hell when they die. Because they never knew Christ. So when we find people that are in sin, when a member of our community is fallen down, It's our job to pick them back up. The other reason that we have to do this is because, quite frankly, some sins bring disrepute to the people of God. There is a a belief out there that Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. And we have, in many ways, earned that, okay? We have to own that that there's lots of people who are Christians who are not acting the way the Christians should. But brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people out there that are saying that they're Christians that aren't Christians. That are associated with Christianity and go out in the world and give us a bad name. It's like the, like the guy who, when, when I was in the court cadets, would, would wear his uniform and he'd be overweight and he'd be eating a candy bar and the candy bar would be draining down on the front of his shirt, right? And I'd be trying to pick up girls and it'd be like, I can't because they see this guy and they see me and they equate me. It's like we're in the same club. That's what it's like. You get some angry, mean-spirited guy who's pretending to be a Christian who goes out there. Makes us look bad. Makes people think, well, I don't want to be a Christian. These These people are terrible. I mean, it's like, you know, if you're the kind of person that is always out in the front yard fighting with your old lady... Right? You get all tanked up like rednecks on vacation and go out and fight in the front yard. Guess what? We're going to have to deal with it because they're going to see you and say, Hey, man, people at First Baptist Orchard, they like to party too much. No, we need to work through that. That's a problem. You shouldn't do that. So yes, we have a call to become involved in each other's lives. But this call must come from a place of transparency. It's got to come from a place of love. So Jesus, in these in the, in next three verses, he talks about the spirit that we're supposed to have. The spirit that we're supposed to have as we confront other people in sin. He uses exaggeration. He says it's, it's like a doctor trying to, pick a, trying to pick a speck out of somebody's eye when they have a log stuck in their own. You can't, you can't see clearly. You can't help another person until you've helped yourself. It's like when you're on... On a plane, you know, when you sit down on the plane and you've got kids, and they say when the, when the masks drop out of the overhead, you put the mask on yourself first. You put the mask on yourself first because if you pass out, you can't help anybody. And that's the same way with sin. If you are enmeshed in constant, unrepentant, unresolved sin, you cannot help another person. You can't do it. You will always bring your baggage with you does this mean that we have to be perfect no but does it mean we need to have our baggage under control yeah yeah it does and so I would encourage you find somebody that you can be accountable to find somebody that will ask you hard questions about what you do doesn't have to be your wife some cases maybe it shouldn't be your wife but you need to find somebody that's gonna hold you accountable to the things that you're doing so that you can be a fully functional member of the community of God if we presume to speak about another person's life or actions before we have addressed our own get ready because all of your baggage will be brought out into the light that's what it means that you will be measured by the same way that the man who is judged who judges will in turn be judged. Don't go out there and start looking into other people's lives if your life will not spare spare the scrutiny. There's another aspect of this, though. See, we are called to live in community with each other. We are called to hold each other accountable, right? We are called to exhibit good judgment. And good judgment means discernment and not condemnation but it also means having wisdom and knowing when not to comment it it means knowing who to judge and who not to judge brothers and sisters we are not called to judge those outside of the church don't expect a Christian to act or don't expect a non-christian to act like a Christian You will be disappointed every time. I guarantee you. Do not seek to give the blessings of Christian obedience to those who do not know Christ because they won't appreciate it. And they're liable to come back and bite your head off. They will definitely hate you for it and it may inoculate them against the gospel. Jesus said it this way He said, Do not give dogs what is sacred. And do not throw your pearls to pigs if you do not know if you do they may trample them under feet and turn and tear you to pieces see Christians are called to judge each other but we are not called to judge the world Jesus follows his discussion with judgment with this this peculiar weird saying right this this complicated thing he's dis- he's telling his disciples how to interact with non-believers He's cautioning them against taking the holy things that he has given them and casting them before people who don't care. He's just gotten done telling them about morality and about how to live and about how to police themselves. And now he's saying, you got all this good stuff here? Don't throw it down before the pigs because they're not going to accept it. Don't give it to dogs because they'll turn and tear you apart. Paul says it this way. In his letter to the Corinthian church, a church that was in one of the most immoral cities in the Roman world. So it's the Roman world and it's immoral. So that's really, really immoral. The church had its own issues and it had become infected with the immorality of the world around them. And so Paul is writing them this letter to to, to try to get them back to where they need to be. He says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters in that case you would not live you would have to leave this world but now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler do not even eat with such people what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church are you not to judge those inside God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. He is making a very stark point. He's saying, you are responsible for the actions of the people in the community, in the church. The People outside of the church, don't worry about them. God will judge their actions. See, the worst thing that you can do in the the New Testament church is to expel them from the body of believers you look at them and say "You, by your actions and by the things that you are doing you are not sick want to still have you here but, I, but you can't be a member that's the discipline that they're talking about see he he says we are here to police our own but we are not called to police everyone else we are responsible to confront sin, sinful actions in our brothers and sisters we are not responsible to change the actions or the activities of non-christians they don't have christ and they shouldn't be expected to act like they do now i know what you're going to say oh man that's that's pretty rough right that you know there's some guys that'll say well you know it's our job part of loving our neighbor is to give them the morality that we have because it encourages flourishing right christian morality enables people to live happy healthy lives let me ask you this Why do I want a non-Christian to live a happy, healthy life? Why do I want them to think that they can make it on their own without Christ? Why do I want to give them all the benefits of Christianity without the life change that comes with it? Brothers and sisters, I want a non-Christian, I want somebody who doesn't know Christ, to hit rock bottom so that Christ will find them. I don't want to air-condition the train ride to hell for them. I don't want to make it as nice and comfortable as possible. I want them to reap the consequences of a sinful life because that's the only way that Christ is going to mean anything. I don't want people to think that they can be saved by their morality because, guys, there are plenty of atheists who are moral people there are many atheists who follow the speed limits and do all the things that are right many of them are better neighbors and citizens than a lot of Christians however salvation is not about being good enough right it's not about being perfect you can't be perfect none of us can be perfect without the blood of Christ covering us all of the morality in the world will not save them and I don't want them to think that it can Besides, if you try to push Christian morality on somebody who's not a Christian, they're not going to appreciate it. When I was 12 years old, there was a chow wandering around our neighborhood, right? And it was a big, fluffy dog that looked really happy, but I was really sad because there was nobody to take care of it. So it had a tag around its neck, and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go up here. I'm going to help this dog find its home because it's like a Disney movie. and It's going to talk to me. to be my friend. It'll be great, Right? So I go over to it, I'm like, hello, chow. And I lean down to look at its tag so I can take it back to its owner. And you know what it did? It said, thank you, Andrew. I really appreciate you're here. I'm going to be your friend forever. No, it mauled me. It almost ripped my throat out and ripped my stomach open. I had 22 stitches in my face. That's why I have this character-building scar right here. Right? That reminds me every time I look in the, window, in the mirror that there are some people who don't want your help. There are some people who if you try to help them, they're going to turn around and maul you. And we have to be wise about what we're doing. And if you take the holy things of God and you pour them out in front of a person that does not know Christ, they are liable to call you everything but a child of God, mock your Savior, and never want to talk to you again. See, they don't know who Christ is. And what you're giving them looks like a pile of rules. Even if they followed some of them, you are not making their life better. You are burdening them with things that they cannot possibly hope to live up to. Brothers and sisters, obedience to the law of God does not come from our will. We cannot do the things that we do on our own. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's what enables us to do the things that God has called us to do. If you burden a person with all this stuff, they may work, it may work for a little bit, but in the end, all they're going to do is resent it and resent Christ. The best way to love a non-Christian is to give them Jesus. Now, I want to be very clear here. I am not saying that we need to hide from conflict. I'm not saying that we need to not call sin, sin. But I am saying this. You are not going to change the behavior of a non-Christian without Christ. So if you're going to focus on something, you focus on witnessing to that person and living out your values. And then allow Christ to change them. We can tell people what we think, but we cannot and we should not try to compel them. Because the most helpful thing that you could ever do is to share the love of Christ with them. So brothers and sisters, in a moment we're going to have a time of invitation. If you don't know the love of Christ, if you have never given your life to Christ, I would ask you to come forward. And we'll pray with you. We'd love to have you accept Christ here. We'd love to be a family that will help you along this road. If you're struggling with living out the Christian life, what it looks like, come and join us. We're not perfect, but we are a family. And we'd love to be family with you. So please bow your heads with me. Dear Jesus, God, thank you so much for all the blessings you've given us. Thank you for this church and for this home. God, I ask that you would be with us as we go out into the world, that you would give us the wisdom to be able to know who and how to confront sin in this world, and that you would give us grace and peace and wisdom to love the people around us. God, I ask these things in your holy name. Amen.